Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the most unique, entertaining, and compelling sports talk podcast you'll ever listen to. Let's be great. Let's be great. Wendell's World in Sports with the one and only Wendell Wallace. Giannis charging down the lane to the rim. Double clutch. No good. Tipped in. Giannis tipped it home. Subscribe, rate, and review anywhere and everywhere you listen to this and all your favorite podcasts. And now, from Washington, D.C. metropolitan area, rip, ruin, and ready to rumble, Wendell Wallace. Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. A lot of things to get down on and discuss today in the world of sports. Uh, before I do that, I want to give my thoughts and my prayers and my condolences for those in Louisiana, for those in the northeast section of this country who are experiencing some difficulties right now because of the hurricane, because of the weather that they've been experiencing. Stay strong. Do what you need to do to survive. And I just want to let you know that uh, I'm praying for you that uh, you guys will survive and make a strong recovery. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Que pasa, mi amigos. Mi amo, Wendell Wallace, Wendell's World of Sports. So glad that you could be with us. Shalom, wassalam alaikum, konnichiwa, namaste, bonjour, bonsoir, monsieur, mademoiselle, je m'appelle Wendell Wallace, Wendell's World of Sports. So glad that you could be with us. Before we get on with the sports, I just want to ask anybody, everybody out there, how you doing? What's happening? What's going on? How was your week? I hope that you're doing everything that you need to do in a positive way through love, peace, unity, understanding, listening, learning, giving good vibes so we can make this world a better place to be. Not for us so much as for your children, their children, their children, so on and so forth. Doing it with love, respect, unity, harmony for each other, man. That's what I'm talking about. Wendell's World in Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. So uh, today, man, let's get into it, man. Let's let's go ahead and start talking about some football. Football is here. College football is here. I'm excited. I'm glad that it's here. The first game of the season for real, or the first important game of the season for real, the telltale sign of the season took place yesterday. I'm recording this on a Friday afternoon. So yesterday I had the pleasure of watching Ohio State ranked number four in the country, 45-31, over the Minnesota Golden Gophers with Row Your Boat, P.J. Fleck. Good game. It was a good game. Um, outscored, um, Ohio State outscored Minnesota in the second half, 35-17 after being down 14-10 at halftime. Ohio State introducing a new quarterback. Justin Fields, of course, is playing for the Chicago Bears. So redshirt freshman, C.J. Stroud made his debut, started off shaky, started off like, eh, I don't know about this man. He was 8 for 14, 57 yards, one interception, missed a couple of passes, missed a certain touchdown pass in the uh, first half. First drive was pretty good. Saw some nice things, slender build, strong arm, lively arm. But, uh, you know, a little bit inexperienced was showing there. But in the second half, man, he came back and uh, played much, much better. Led a TD drive on their first possession of the second half to uh, put Ohio State ahead 17-14 then when Minnesota scored to make it 21-17 and just Gus Johnson was losing his mind and the fan base of Minnesota at the uh, at the stadium were losing their mind and this, that, and the other. Stroud came back and threw a 56-yard touchdown pass to Garrett Wilson to give Ohio State the lead for good 24-21. And you're really, if you're betting on Ohio State or if you're an Ohio State fan, you really didn't start to feel a little bit of exhaling until later on in the third quarter, Ohio State was leading 24-21 with 2.18 left to go in the third when 
Edge rusher Zach Harrison sacked and stripped the ball from Minnesota quarterback Tanner Morgan. It was scooped up by defensive tackle Haskell Garrett, ran 32 yards for a touchdown to make it 31-21. <sighs> it's like, all right, now, now we're starting to rock and roll. Now we're starting to move a little bit. Now we're starting to groove a little bit. Then with Ohio State leading 31-24 with about 10 minutes left to go in the fourth quarter, Trayvon Henderson caught a dump-off pass from Stroud, ran 70 yards for a touchdown, then later threw a TD pass to Chris Olive in the the, uh, quarter to finally put the game away. So, after going 8 for 14, 57 yards, an interception, looking a little bit shaky, looking a little bit, I don't know, Stroud came back, finished the game pretty well. 13 of 22, 294 yards, four touchdowns, one interception. He threw four touchdown passes in the second half, an average 47 yards per completion. (laughs) Now, that's not going to be something of the norm. Threw touchdown passes of 70 yards, 61 yards, 56 yards, and 38 yards. So... There we go with C.J. Stroud. The Buckeyes defense, which had seven new players making a starting debut. A little bit shaky, as I was mentioning before. Um, Zach Harrison, the name Zach Harrison, he seemed to be the next in line, even though I didn't see it in the Minnesota game. You know, when we're speaking about Ohio State, we're speaking about the edge rushers, and we speak about the impact that those players who graduated, who played at Ohio State and then went on to the NFL, when you're speaking about the Bosa brothers, when you're speaking about uh, Chase Young, when you're speaking about when, and, and who's going to be that next guy to take over from Chase Young to be that awesome, you know, first round draft pick, all-American edge rusher. Didn't see it. It's supposed to be Zach Harrison, but when you're starting seven new guys, a lot of these guys young, and you're playing against Minnesota, which had Mohamed Abrahim, who ran for 161 yards and two touchdowns on 29 carries before getting injured in the third quarter. I mean, this is a situation where you could have uh, made the argument that possibly Minnesota has a, well, of course, they have a better chance to win with Abrahim in the game, but you could say that they were playing better football, that they were in a better position to win the game when Abraham went down because, and again, in the second half, he was really starting to click. He was really starting to get it going after a very strong uh, first half. So when he went down with that leg injury, it seemed to take a lot of the momentum in the air out of the stadium and on the Minnesota sidelines. So at this point of the season, as I mentioned before, it's only one game. So this is not going to be a situation where I'm going to sit in concrete that Minnesota, excuse me, that Ohio State does not have that Joey Bosa, Nick Bosa, Chase Young type of impact pass rusher yet. But if anybody is going to emerge just based on talent and reputation, it's going to be Zach Harrison, who, again, made a big play sacking the Minnesota quarterback, leading to a scoop and score. So. Defensive-wise, a lot of work to be done for Ohio State, even though Minnesota has a pretty good um, offense. But yet and still, man, the offense for Ohio State, working C.J. Stroud, just a bunch of talented, talented guys. The offensive line is strong. They have one of the best receiving duos in college uh, college football you know, so the running backs are strong, they're sturdy, they're not swift, they're not quick, they're not shifty, but they're strong, they're fast, they're talented. So I think on offense, as the season matures, I think the offense is going to be able to be maintaining a high level of play. Again, we're going to probably see some inconsistency from Stroud just because he's a uh, freshman making his first start, but on the, when, you know, on the up and up, it's a situation where, hey, look, man, if you're 
Michigan, if you're Wisconsin, if you're Penn State, if you're Indiana, any of these teams in the Big Ten, or even if we go a little bit, if we go a little bit deeper, widen the pool a little bit more, we're speaking about Georgia, we're speaking about Clemson, we're speaking about Alabama, we're speaking about some of these teams who are trying to vie for the four playoff spots at the end of the season, and those schedules and those teams go ahead and do what they're supposed to do, then next weekend, the game in Columbus between Oregon and Ohio State is going to be very, very interesting because after that, man, I don't know if you take a look at Ohio State's schedule. I, I don't know where there's going to be a roadblock. You can maybe look at the game against Indiana. You can maybe look at the game uh, October 30th against Penn State. Both of those games are going to be at home, going to be at Ohio State. But uh, other than that, man, it's going to be a hard time. You're going to have a hard time finding where Ohio State's going to be um, vulnerable to lose. And as I mentioned before, when you have the skilled wide receivers such as Chris Olive and Garrett Wilson, again, the running backs, big, strong, compact, breakaway talent and speed, and Myron Williams and Master Teague, offensive line, I think it's a real strength of this team when you think about it at the beginning of the season. The main storyline on offense is going to be C.J. Stroud. Can he maintain some type of consistency with the defense He's going to have to put some points on the board as the defense matures and grows and gets better. So the defense, at least what we saw in the game against Minnesota, they're not going to, it would be foolish for Ohio State to rely on their defense to win football games. And in football nowadays, when you're speaking about either college or pro, that's normally not the uh, formula to win football games on a consistent basis either because of the way that the rules have transpired over the years and have teetered more toward the offense that you're going to have to be outscoring people. You're not going to be able, the games where you're going to be consistently winning 21-17, 14-10, 17-14, those days are over. That's why Les Miles is no longer in coaching. Because when he was the coach at LSU, that bullshit worked three yards in the cloud of dust in this mundane, vanilla, boring, elementary-style offense. Yeah, that worked at LSU when you had a hell of a defense and you were winning football games 6-3, to 13-10, and those type of things. But the way the game has changed, the way that the emphasis has been put on the offensive players, the skill positions, and how the rules have enabled them to become even bigger threats, you're going to have to start outscoring people more than you are shutting people down you'll win an occasional 17 to 14 game but more often than not you could be, you better be able to put anywhere between 31 and 45 points on the board if you're going to be winning consistently if you're going to be making the playoffs consistently if you're going to be making the semifinals in college football consistently and if you're going to be winning championships competing for championships on a regular basis the offense in terms of its productivity, in terms of its strength, in terms of its ferocity, in terms of how great it is. We see what what was going on with Alabama. We see Lincoln Riley over at um, Oklahoma in the mind that he had for offense. We see now Ryan Day, the coach at um, Ohio State. We see these major teams, Dabo Sweeney and now He's starting to, uh, you know, with the quarterback situation, starting off with Deshaun Watson, moving over to Trevor Lawrence, and now DJ, DJ, whose name I'm not going to try to pronounce, but DJ, you know who I'm talking about. Now, these guys are not what we would say system quarterbacks. Don't mess up quarterbacks. These guys are extremely important in terms of these 
football programs maintaining their excellence by putting points on the board, not by handing off and not making mistakes. It's a matter of being an important part of their offense. And C.J. Stroud, normally a red shirt freshman, named about 5, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, someone like a C.J. Stroud, a freshman like that, a first-time starter, it would be a position where it would be like, you know what, we're going to be very cautious. We're going to be very vanilla. We're just going to rely on the defense. We're going to rely on the running game. Can't do that now. So on a week-to-week basis, and again, started off a little bit slowly against Minnesota in the first half, came on strong. Moving forward for Ohio State, of course, to be a championship contender, especially, as I mentioned before, with all those skill parts that they have around them from the wide receiver, tight end, and the running back position, C.J. Stroud is going to be the key in terms of making that offense go. And... There could be an interesting storyline when you think about it concerning Stroud because he's the starting quarterback right now. He is a redshirt freshman, but what about freshman Quinn Ewers? You know, the guy that uh, left Texas, decommitted, committed to Texas, then decommitted, and then signed with uh, Ohio State, reclassified from the recruiting class of 2022 and joined the uh, Buckeyes preseason camp ahead of the 2021 season in August. This is supposed to be the guy that's supposed to be, you know, the bee's knees. This is the guy, as far as the prospect is concerned, supposed to be, you know, a guy who can win Heisman trophies, a guy who's going to be a future number one draft pick, a guy who's going to, you know, having a strong NFL career, a guy who's going to win the Heisman trophy. He's supposed to have that type of impact. Well, C.J. Stroud wasn't that highly thought of in terms of being compared to Quinn Ewers. Now, if you're coming in when you got all this hype, I mean, goodness sakes, gracious sakes alive, Ewers already signed a $1.4 million contract in terms of name, Im- image, and light and uh, lightning, light, lightness or whatever it's called to uh, go ahead and do that. So, I mean, we, we've already got the situation where there's some pretty strong, there's some pretty high expectation for Quinn Ewers. If C.J. Stroud is going to be mediocre like he was in the first half, and this starts to become a problem in terms of if he's not giving you consistent play, when is the fan base, when are the folks in the locker room going to start saying, hey, man, I mean, is it time that we go with the Wonderkin? Is it time that we go to the Prodigy? Is it time that we go to uh, Quinn Ewers? Now, for the game against Minnesota, Ewers didn't even travel with the team. He wasn't even on the roster. And again, a situation where he uh, reclassified because high school football in in Texas, in the state of Texas, name, image, and likeness, you're not going to be getting anything. That's for college. That's not for high school. So he said, okay, well, I'm not going to be able to cash in on my notoriety out here in um, Texas or playing, you know, in the hotbed state of high school football for Texas. I think he plays for, I don't know, somewhere in Plano where it's, you know, one of these really highly thought after high school football programs, he's like, well, if I'm not going to be able to uh, make any coin off of that for me and my folks, guess what? I'm just going to go ahead and uh, reclassify, go in a year early, make sure I get all of my uh, high school stuff out of the way, join the team this preseason and start competing that way. And oh, did I mention before, I just signed a three-year, $1.4 million contract with a um, with a company. So biggity bang, bangity boom. With all of that hype, And look, fans don't know anything about practice. Fans don't know what's happening in film room. Fans don't have the intimate relationship as far as the details is concerned about the quarterback competition, the relationship that he has with his other 
teammates, the relationship that he has with his coaches, the relationship that he has with the quarterback coach. We, we don't know any of these things in terms of going into a decision for Ewers. Who's he going to play? Where is he going to play? How is he going to play? Is he going get to get an opportunity this year? If Stroud continues to play at a high level, if Stroud plays more like he did in the second half against Minnesota more often than he did in the first half against Minnesota, it's going to be interesting to see exactly what's going to be happening with Quinn Ewers. I'm quite sure that if Stroud continues to play like this, I would redshirt him. I don't I don't know what the need would be. Now, of course, you know, well, you're going to have him as a backup and waste your time that way. So I, I don't know about that, but it will be interesting, again, moving forward in this situation at the quarterback position at The Ohio State University. Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with, with, uh, with, uh, with us. So next weekend, hey, man, I worked at Mesquite and was dealing with 10th graders all week. Give me a break. So next weekend, Ohio State, again, plays at home against Oregon. After that, they're not going to be tested, as I mentioned before, until October, near the end of October, Indiana, and then, of course, the big one against Penn State. And then after the game against Oregon, the preseason, they play Tulsa, Akron, then they start Big Ten play, where they're at Rutgers, then Maryland, then again at Indiana. And then after the game against Penn State on October 30th, they play at Nebraska, home to Purdue, home to Michigan State, then on the road at Michigan. So this is going to be an interesting, this is going to be an interesting team. And I'm looking forward being a guy who really enjoys watching Ohio State play for the last couple of years. I'm really interested to see how these young bucks in terms of the skill position uh, go ahead and make their mark, especially when we're speaking about the wide receiver position. I'm interested in how the wide receivers are going to be meshing with C.J. Stroud. And I'm interested to see the progression, see the maturity, see the development, see the improvement of C.J. Stroud. As I mentioned before, lanky guy can move out of the pocket, can put, you know, can can get his feet to move and, and, and um, make some plays that way. More athletic than Dwayne Haskins, not as much as Justin Fields, but, you know, Justin Fields, we're talking about a damn near finished project and we're just starting this mission of C.J. Stroud becoming a really good college football quarterback. But, uh, you know, I like the versatility. I like the athleticism that was shown by C.J. Stroud. I think this is a guy who, again, has a lively arm. And uh, it'll be interesting to see week after week after week how much he's improved. And when you're going to be playing Tulsa and then Akron and then Rutgers and then Maryland, I mean, those are really four good games for him to get his feet wet. And again, the big contest again is going to be against Oregon uh, coming up next weekend. So Ohio State, Starting the season, Ohio State really kicking off college football. Yeah, I know, I know the past weekend that we had some other stuff going on in terms of football is concerned, but give it up to the Big Ten, who is going to, uh, you know, play play their chips, you know, really, really early in terms of starting the season, putting on some marquee games. They didn't have to do Michigan, I'm sorry, they didn't have to do Minnesota in Ohio State, but um, I'm damn sure glad they did. It made for a very enjoyable Thursday night watching football and then now heading into the weekend, which I'm going to be getting to with the games that they have all day tomorrow. I'm really going to be enjoying it. So here's the plan, y'all. Here's what I'm talking about. See if you're going to agree with this. See if you're going to be doing the same thing that I'm going to be doing. Tomorrow is going to be all about football. Tomorrow, from the time that I wake up till the end of the Clemson-Georgia game, is going to be all about football. Now, I'm not married and I don't have kids, but 
for those who have husbands and wives and children and such, hey man, go ahead, just say, honey, let me go ahead, watch these football games. You've got a whole lot of really good football games on that I want to watch at the beginning of the season, this, that, and the other. Sunday, I'll do anything that you want me to do. Sunday and Monday, for the most part, I'll do anything that you want me to do because relatively, as far as, relatively speaking, as far as the uh, college football season is concerned, uh, Saturday, Sunday and Monday, you know, don't have a plethora of games for you to watch. Tomorrow is going to be a, uh, is going to be a, a full day event. So I say, hey man, you know, try to convince your significant other Try to convince your better half that, you know what, man, we can go ahead and uh, anything that you want me to do, anything that you need to do, if we're going to be going on vacation, if we're going to be taking that Labor Day break, hey, man, let's go ahead and leave early on Sunday morning because it's like I've got too much football to watch. There's too much There's too much great football to watch. And you know what? Hey, if you're living on the East Coast, it got until 3.30 before the Alabama-Miami game starts, and then after that, you have Clemson and Georgia. So, regardless or even if you're going someplace where it's just a couple of hours or something like that hey man you know what go ahead leave early go ahead and listen to Wendell's World in Sports in the car as you're heading on up and uh, enjoy the day enjoy yourself so that's the game plan that's the thing that you should be looking at that should be the itinerary for what you're going to be doing for tomorrow Sunday and Monday college football is here Ohio State impressed C.J. Shroud, impressed, is going to be very interesting in terms of what the quarterback position is going to be about at that school as time goes on this season with Quinn Ewers there. But uh, regardless, I'm looking forward to the season and it started off right for real on Thursday with Ohio State's victory over Minnesota. them all. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. The greatest, Otis Redding. Thank you very much. The legendary one, Otis Redding. The last part of Day Tripper, the, um, his version, which was done by the Beatles, his version, that last minute and a half or whatever. If you want the definition of soul, if you want a true definition of what soul is all about, Booker T and the MGs backing up Otis Redding, and that was the alternative take. That is pure unadulterated soul power, man. That is the best definition, in my opinion, of what soul is all about. And guess what? The lead singer of that was black. The guy on the bass was white. The guy on the rhythm guitar was white. The guy on the organs was black. And the guy on the piano was black. And the guy at the drums was black. So soul is not about a color. It's about a feeling. It's about soulfulness. And that's colorblind, baby. Wendell's World is Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. The reason why I was playing that 
And the reason why I'm kind of saying this is this podcast that I'm doing right now, I'm calling this the um, I'm calling this the college football NFL and educating the youth with sports and music the way they need to learn and respect it. So basically what I'm doing is the reason why I'm going to be playing a little Otis Redding, the reason why my bumper music, the reason for my bumper music, the explanation is because this past week I was up at the high school over in Mesquite up there in Virgin Valley and uh, doing a 10th grade class, doing a science class and such. And um, what I like to do, because Virgin Valley is about 90 miles up the road from where I'm staying in uh, Las Vegas, where I'm living right now in Las Vegas. And it's highly Mormon, large Hispanic population, hardly any black folks out there, hardly any Asian folks out there, hardly any other type of race, religion, creed, whatever, up there other than just the Hispanics and the uh, Mormons and white folks up there who live up there. Very nice people. I have no problem with them. Um, But, you know, the more north you head up the I-15, the less diverse it gets. So as you move past Mesquite, Nevada, then you head over to Littlefield, Arizona, and then you head over to uh, St. George, Utah, and then Cedar City as you head up to uh, Salt Lake City, going up toward Idaho, and then ultimately toward the Canadian border. It's like the the less diverse it gets. It starts getting less diverse once you leave uh, Las Vegas in terms of Asians and blacks and Muslims and everything like that. And the farther north you get, the more white, and that's about it you get. So, when you're speaking about 90 miles up, them folks up there, they hardly ever go down to Vegas. Now, the school is incorporated with Clark, Clark County, so they'll come down and they'll play uh, Desert Pines and they'll go ahead and play some of the schools sports-wise and everything, you know, down here. But other than that, I mean, these folks, these kids ain't going down to uh, Las Vegas. If they need anything, there's a small town up there in Mesquite that's got the shopping mall, it's got a Walmart and everything. But for the most part, if they need anything in terms of going to a restaurant or whatever, they go 40 miles up the road north to uh, St. George. They don't don't need to go 90 miles to uh, Vegas. So you have kids who are living there that have lived there their entire lives. So we're speaking about a lily white, highly conservative area like Mesquite, Nevada, where they're not associating. They're not running into folks who look like me. They're not, you know, they're, they're not dealing with kids who look like me. They're not befriending and learning of, you know, about kids who look like me. So my deal is when I go up there, you know, just doing my part to move the society along in a more educated way, in a way with human unity, peace, harmony, learning, understanding and such. When I go up there, which is a lot, first week I was up there three days, second week I was up there five days, third week I was up there three days, uh, this past week I was up there five days, and I'm heading back up there for another three or four days, I think, this uh, next coming week, this upcoming week. Every time that I'm in the classroom, every time in between periods, every time that I'm on my prep, Every time that they take a 15-minute break in my room, that the room that I'm substituting for, I'm playing my music. I'm playing Otis Redding. I'm playing James Brown. I'm playing Aretha Franklin. I'm playing Anita Baker. I'm playing Donny Hathaway. I'm playing the Reverend James Cleveland. I'm playing John Coltrane. I'm playing... I'm playing Nas, I'm playing Rakim, I'm playing Big Daddy Kane, I'm playing Heavy D, I'm playing Public Enemy, the clean versions, of course. But basically, I'm playing that stuff to get these kids educated, man. Because, you know, sometimes during the break, they come in, they sit in class or whatever, they hang out or whatever. Some of these kids, you know, they come in early during the day for this when school starts and such. So I get there relatively early, but those kids are already in there. So they come into my first period class, second period class, and they sit and, they, you know, they do their thing. So I want them to be 
inundated. I want them to listen to this stuff in terms of the pioneers, in terms of, you know, the, 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 the heroes, in terms of the, those who were huge contributors in the field that they were in, namely the music field, to contribute to where this country is today as far as the positive is concerned. That's my contribution. And some will ask, hey man, who is that? Or oh, who's that person? Or what's that, 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 and the other? Especially the Hispanics, man. The Hispanics love, the Hispanics absolutely love my old school rap. They love Otis writing and such. But, um, you know, it's, that's my way of uh, doing that stuff. So this past week, man, just like I've been doing for the last upteen years, I've been going up there, man. I've been playing the, um, been playing the greatest, been playing the legends, been playing the greatest of them all. And Otis Redding and that song was one of them, man. So today I started off with a little Fight the Power by Public Enemy. Then I moved into a little uh, Microphone Fiend by Rakim. And then I moved into a little Nas. And then I moved into a little Big L. And then I moved into a little Heavy D. And then I moved into a little EPMD. And then this morning before school started, you know, I was playing a little Diana Ross. I was playing a little Levi Stubbs in the Four Tops. I was playing a little Otis Redding. I was playing, um, what was I also playing today? Oh, I was playing a little Anita Baker. So, you yeah, man, when them kids come in, they kind of look at me as like, what, what's that? And they know that, you know, the stuff that I'm playing is, is, is the real deal. And if they ask, I will definitely go into it and talk about the heroes, the legends that they should be knowing, that should be, you know, sketched in their brain as far as their importance is concerned about where they are, as far as this country is concerned and the importance that they had in the country being where it is right now. And also the great musicians that they are. Wendell's World in Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. So the music that you'll be hearing today on the breaks, those are some of the tunes that I was playing um, while I was up there in Mesquite and will continue to play up there, not just at the high school, but also when I substitute for the middle school up there. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Wendell's World in Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. So we're speaking about college football. We're speaking about the uh, Ohio State Buckeyes, their 45-31 victory over Minnesota, talking about how great it was for the real college football season to start off with, you know, a really good team in Ohio State, one of the teams that's favored, one of the blue bloods of college football, the elite programs of college football, Ohio State, getting things started in a competitive game against a good Minnesota Golden Gopher team had a t- had a chance to take a look at C.J. Stroud and take a look at that team and where they need to go again. I'm going to be interested as the season goes along where the Quinn Ewers discussion falls into. Is he just going to, uh, you know, play the background role if Stroud uh, struggles or is inconsistent? When will the fan base at Ohio State start demanding that we might see an opportunity for Ewers to get a little bit of time? Where is he on the depth chart? He didn't make the team in terms of traveling up to uh, Minnesota got in late in August because he reclassified so we could take advantage of name image and likeness and get himself a three-year 1.4 million dollar uh, deal so you know when September turns to October and such if we're looking at a inconsistent CJ Stroud if he's not improving the way that he should be improving or many people think that he's improving when will the call for Quinn Hewers who's supposed to be you know when we're speaking about great high school football players coming from the hotbed in terms of high school football that's concerned, the state of Texas, coming from a major power in that state as far as the football program is concerned, broke the hearts of many Texans' longhorns when he decommitted when um, Tom Herman was fired and then signed with the Ohio State Buckeyes, reclassified going up there. When is 
that celebrity going to be garnering the, hey, he should be playing type of uh, thoughts and emotions from the fan base. So we will take a look at that. But so far, so good for freshman, redshirt freshman, CJ, CJ Stroud and the Ohio State Buckeyes. But here on Wendell's World and Sports, the podcast with yours truly, Wendell Wallace. Bonjour, bonsoir, monsieur. The games of importance and interest this Labor Day weekend, man. Some really good ones. I'm starting off at noon on Fox when we're speaking about number 19th ranked Penn State at number 12, Wisconsin. I guess if you want to take a look at the theme, if you want to take a look at the storyline, if there's going to be something in terms of interest in watching this game, is that, you know, we're taking a look at two teams here who, if we're going to be discussing who in the world is going to give Ohio State his first Big Ten loss in the regular season since 2018, Penn State and Wisconsin are going to be two teams that are going to be near the top of that list in terms of having the best possibility. I want to see on Saturday which team looks the best to give Ohio State a real go for their money. Now, it's just one game, and as I mentioned before, Ohio State and Penn State don't hook up until October 30th and Wisconsin doesn't even play Ohio State in the uh, regular season but I'm just interested with Wisconsin being at number 12 already to start the season if they beat Penn State is this going to be a team that when if they play Ohio State in the Big Ten Championship game will we be talking about the winner of that game getting a slot in the Final Four for the college football playoffs. Because, as I mentioned before, man, you have Wisconsin up there at number 12, doesn't play Ohio State on the schedule. If you take a look at the schedule that they have, speaking of the Badgers, they play Notre Dame September 25th. They play Michigan October 2nd. They play Iowa October 30th. And then they're at Row Row Your Boat, Minnesota, and P.J. Fleck November 22nd. Now, because it's the preseason, take a look at these teams. I mean, namely... Iowa, Michigan, Notre Dame. We really don't have a complete book on them in terms of how good they're going to be. Prognosticators say that they're going to be good, but we really don't know that yet. But, you know, if their names on a resume, you know, for the most part, you're going to go on the assumption that when you're speaking about a team this year like Notre Dame, Michigan and such, that they're going to be having strong records, that they're going to have good records. They're going to win at least eight or nine games. So when you're taking a look at the resume for the selection committee and such for the BCS or whenever they start ranking the teams later on in the season, beating a Notre Dame, beating uh, Michigan, beating a Penn State, I mean, that's going to weigh heavy in terms of where they stand in the pecking order and the opportunity to get in position to play for a national championship, make the uh, final four in terms of the playoffs is concerned in college football. So I'm going to be interested in watching this game just to see which team, as far as the first week is concerned, is going to be able to possibly give Ohio State a run for its money. Just like in a couple of hours, I'm going to be watching um, North Carolina play Virginia Tech and see if the number 10th ranked team in the country, North Carolina, is a real deal in terms of can they be that team that can, you know, at least make, Clemson sweat a little bit, but them being number 10 in the country, I mean, they're in a position where they might have an opportunity or they should have an opportunity if they do what they're supposed to do, if they live live up to their expectation, if the rebuilding process that Mac Brown has started takes the next step, that could get them in a position where they would have an excellent opportunity to play for a chance to be in one of the four spots for the college football playoffs. So 
all of this stuff is it's swirling. All of this stuff, at least in week one, because again, it's week one college football, first time in a long time for these teams that are going to be playing in front of fans. We spoke about some of the, um, or I'm going to be speaking about it now in terms of a lot of these teams didn't even go through a full season last season. We're speaking about new quarterbacks. We're speaking about new changes. We're speaking about getting back into a routine, even with veteran players on their team. So look, the first week of this season is going to be even more I wouldn't say it's, the word isn't useless because when we're speaking about college football, every every game is important for the most part. But um, I think that more than ever, I think you're going to be seeing teams who have been playing, who are going to be playing this weekend, who are ranked in the top 10, the top 15, the top 25 and such. They're not going to be the same team that they'll be later on in the season. Say, for instance, if they lose, whoever loses this game between Wisconsin and and Penn State, I think by the time November and December or November rolls around, that they're going to be a much different team and a much better team than uh, what they showed the first game of the season here, the beginning of September. Now, you could say, well, Wendell, that's every year. I mean, that's what, 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 what are you talking about? The difference is, is that the realignment or once again, trying to get back into that routine from what happened last year. Look, we're speaking about the Big Ten last year that first the, the, the 2020 season, that wasn't even supposed to be happening. First, the Big Ten canceled the season, then they rescheduled, then they reopened the season, and then the COVID and all this other stuff that came down, and they had a limited schedule and all these type of things, and no uh, preseason games or anything like that. So, I mean, these teams had to go through that last year. So, again, even the more seasoned, experienced teams have to get back to that routine, and I believe it's going to take them some time. Also, COVID last year shut down everything in terms of those guys really didn't have an offseason last season. So all this stuff is swirling. All of this stuff is playing a role in where they are right now going into the first season, or going back into what you could say the new season is terms of being regular again. So, yeah, man, Wisconsin and Ohio State, I'm interested. I'm really interested to see exactly uh, how that how – that, uh, turns out and again Ohio State was impressive at least offensively in the second half with the majority of his skill players against Minnesota what is Penn State and Wisconsin going to do to give fans notice that hey you know what we've got the talent we've got the goods we've got a situation where you know what we can be that team to up and the Ohio State Buckeyes. It'll be interesting to see what type of message is being sent between Penn State and Wisconsin, not just to each other, but also to the leader of the pack, the king of the castle in the Big Ten, the Ohio State Buckeyes. Wendell's World in Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us talking about what's happening in college football this weekend. The true start of the college football weekend. Number one, Alabama. ABC, 12.30 Eastern Standard Time. They're going to be going down. They're going to be playing Miami. The Miami Hurricanes. I'm interested. I am truly, truly, truly interested in seeing what's going on with Alabama. Really. I know their defense is going to be really good. But as I mentioned before, when you're speaking about the new age of college football, normally, if we're speaking about, if we were speaking about a Nick Saban who was coaching Michigan State, if we were speaking about a Nick Saban who was coaching LSU, back in those days 
And you were speaking about this team like it is in Alabama for this season, which is starting a new quarterback, starting a new featured running back, starting two wide receivers in terms of the top two options. When you're speaking about replacing an offensive line, this would be a Nick Saban team where it would be, look, it's going to be conservative. They're going to be relying on their defense. They're going to be relying on games where they're going to be winning 17-14, 21-17, that type of thing. You can't do that anymore in college football. You cannot do that, especially when you're speaking about the talent that's in the SEC in terms of the top-tier talent, in terms of Alabama trying to get back to the national championship, be playing in the national championship, competing for a national championship. Those types of games, that type of philosophy ain't going to cut it in the year 2021. So, look, Nick Saban is the man in college football, one of the greatest coaches, if not the greatest coach right there in the club when you're talking about the successful, great college football coaches. So, you know, behooves me to sit there and talk about yeah, this is what Nick Saban needs to do. But from the ignorance perspective, when you're talking about the coaching acumen, acumen between me and Nick Saban, my deal would be, hey, man, look, you know, like it or not, Bryce Young is going to have to come out and be the man. Bryce Young, no, the training wheels are going to be off. Now, I'm quite sure he's not going to have the same type of responsibility as the uh, Mac, as Mac Jones, who was in the program two to three years before he finally got his opportunity, like Tua Tunga-Vailoa, who sat for most of the season as a freshman behind Jalen Hurts and, and, and those situations. But, you know, the, the, the training wheels for Bryce Young are going to be off. So I'm interested now to see exactly what this is all about. He's already been, you know, getting a couple of dollars because the name, image, and likeness, the resume is there, the hype is there, the accolades is there, the five-star ranking, the number one quarterback in his class, all these type of things. He's supposed to be the bee's knees. He's supposed to be the salt of the earth, the fruit of the loom in terms of being a quarterback coming out of Matter Day in California. Now I just want to see what's happening, and I want to see how he does. Is he going to be that guy? Is he going to be that quarterback? Again, are we going to be asking him to duplicate what Mac Jones did? No, Mac Jones couldn't duplicate. If Mac Jones came back and played for Alabama this year, Mac Jones could not duplicate what he did last season, mainly because Devonta Smith, Jaden Waddle, Najee Harris are no longer on that on that squad. Would Jones be awesome? Of course he would. But as far as the numbers that he put up, the dominance that Alabama showed on the offensive side of the football wasn't going to be happening. That was a once in about a five, 10 year team in terms of Alabama is concerned from the offensive standpoint. So I'm interested to see exactly how good Bryce Young is with some of these new guys and who is going to be the next guy to step up and be that superstar. Who in that wide receiver position is going to step up and be the next Devonta Smith? Going to be the next Henry Shrugs? Going to be the next Julio Jones? Going to be the next number one draft pick? Who's going to be the next top five, top t- uh, six, top ten draft pick from that class? They've got the um, talent. They have the 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 the, the uh, talent to do so. Who's going to be that guy? Is it going to be John Michi? Who's it going to be? So I'll be interesting to see. Who's going to emerge from that group in terms of who you're going to have to replace, even with the running back position? Again, Najee Harris, the guy was uh, the guy was a beast, especially the last two years of his collegiate career. You know, we're not going to be asking someone again to duplicate what he did, but which running backs are going to be asked to uh, have the impact that Harris did as a 
combo or as a trio, not just as one. And what young buck out there, freshman, sophomore, whatever, is Alabama going to throw out there maybe maybe for special plays, maybe for a couple of runs or so where you take a look at that talent and you say, "Woo, man, Lord have mercy. When this kid adds a little bit more weight and puts a little bit more whiskers on that chin, that kid is going to be a bad mofo when the junior year comes. So all of those things I'm looking to see. Alabama, ranked number one. Ranked number one, why? Is it because of the talent more than the... Um, is it more because of talent than, uh, you know, uh, resume? Is it more because of reputation that they're ranked number one? We haven't seen any of this play. Don't talk to me about some of these few scrub minutes that Bryce Young played at the end of the season, last season, along with some of the other players. Don't talk to me about the you know, crimson and white game or the spring game or anything like that until the game is for real and they're talking about an opponent like the Miami Hurricanes. I'm... I, I'm not just going to go on the assumption, oh, it's Alabama. Oh, Alabama has great recruiting classes. So naturally, they're going to be number one. And naturally, they're going to go 12-0. and 0, And naturally, they're going to blow out everybody. And naturally, they're going to do all these things. And naturally, me saying naturally is very annoying. So I'll stop saying naturally. So those are the things that I'm looking forward to this season when it comes to Alabama. How good is Bryce Young? Matter day, 13,250 career passing yards, 70 cent per uh, completion rate, 1,084 yards rushing. And how about this? Throughout his career, he had 194 combined touchdowns. What? And we're not speaking about some small school, you know, we're not, we're not speaking about some, he was doing this at some two-way school out there in Vancouver, Washington, or out there in Needles, California, or some shit like that. We're not talking about some bumfuck jerkwater town in, in Iowa or Nebraska or, you know, South Dakota. Matter Day plays a nationally ranked schedule or one of the powerhouses in high school football. And for four years, this is what Bryce Young was doing? Man, no wonder he's coming in with all the hype. I'm just interested to see. And in fact, last season, when he came in, it was almost a foregone conclusion that Bryce Young was going to be the starting quarterback. And Mac Jones said, I don't think so. It's the return of the Mac. And he came back and took the job and the rest is history. So it'll be, I'm just, just based on that alone, I'm just interested to see exactly what's going to be happening with um, Bryce Young, how they manage Bryce Young, how they you know, I'll, I'll bring him along. He's going to be with a new offensive coordinator, Bill O'Brien. Bill O'Brien is going to be the offensive coordinator. Steve Sarkeesian is now with the uh, Texas Longhorns. So not only is he going to be starting, not only is, you know, he's going to be facing that pressure. You know, this is also an off season where he also had to learn a new offense, a new voice, a new personality and everything like that. I wonder if he asked him, hey, Coach, Coach O'Brien, great to uh, meet you, this, that, and the other. Let me ask you a question. As a fan of the Houston, Texas, how in the fuck did you trade DeAndre Hopkins? Are you kidding me? Why should I listen to you again? Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us speaking about the college football opening season weekend for real. Speaking about the Miami Hurricanes against the Alabama Crimson Tide. I'm also interested. I talked about Alabama. I talked about you know how curious I am how good they're going to be. I want to see exactly Miami's De'Eric King. And basically, here's a guy who, I guess he's going to be 23, 24 years old or something like that. It looks like he's played like six years 
in college. This will be his sixth year playing college uh, football. He started off at Houston. Then he transferred when he wanted more shine and he wanted more publicity and he wanted a better opportunity for his name to be known. So he transferred over to Miami and he immediately became captain of the team and one of the leaders and all those type of things. But he was good. He was fine, but uh. So he tore his ACL last season, I think, came back, and now he's going to be back for his last season. Is he going to be outplayed by basically a college rookie? And Bryce Young, is Bryce Young going to make his reputation, start building his reputation, start building his fandom, getting a couple of more uh, deals uh, from advertisers and such? Is is De'Aaron King going to be uh, partially responsible for putting more more coin into the pockets of Bryce Young and his family by getting outplayed by this guy? If you remember, multiple times during De'Aaron King's tenure, in college football, which is not complete just yet. He's got one more year to go. He was mentioned as a Heisman Trophy dark horse. He wasn't going to win it, but when he was at Houston, it was like one of those where, well, you know, if you want to, you know, take a long shot and this, that, and the other, I mean, you know, De'Aaron King might be your guy because some of the things that he was doing, not only did that type of discussion come around when he was at Houston, the University of Houston, but it also came around when he transferred over to Miami. So this is a guy who's very experienced. And again, he's going to be going up against a team in Alabama who, as I mentioned before, are they going to be, how are the reloaders of that team, the five stars who are now going to be responsible for the success of, of Alabama or be the star players being in the starring role of the film Alabama continues its dominance in college football please you know is rated R for cursing swearing and nudity how are those guys going to respond in their first game out again Nick Saban at the coach you know those guys are going to get better as the season goes along. But, I mean, when Alabama loses a game, it's news, newsworthy. When they lose two games, it's really newsworthy. When they're not playing for a championship, when they're not making the Final Four, it's really, really newsworthy. And now, with Georgia finally having a quarterback, is Kirby Smart now ready to be that guy, at least for this year, to say, Alabama, uh-uh. Your reign of terror, the evil empire, that is now, at least for one year, on respite. Wendell's World in Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. There's a team that I discussed, a college football team that I discussed uh, last podcast. I want to reiterate and go over it again. 4.30 Eastern Standard Time on Fox. Number 23, Louisiana, number 21, Texas. Question for the Texas Longhorns fan base down there in Austin. Texas, state of where the wonderful best singer I've ever heard, Shawnee Buchanan, is residing with her husband and her beautiful daughter. Question that I have for you cow folks. Question that I have for you Longhorn fans. Texas holds a lot of swing, holds a lot of sway, right? I mean, they're... Oklahoma important, but more importantly in terms for the demise of the Big 12 as we know it is Texas saying, look, we're not getting enough money in terms of what we do for this conference. See you later. Okay. Texas is a big deal. It's one of the big deals in college football in terms of its impact because of the size and everything. One thing is not 
as far as having a huge impact is concerned is, it's not that way because of their success on the football field. No. So my question moving forward for the Texas fans for the next couple of years, heading into the 2024-25 season, and even next season, this season, and moving on, this, that, and the other. As far as a college football program, in terms of relevance based on winning football games, not what happened back in the 60s, not what happened with Earl Campbell, not what happened with all those guys. I'm talking about present tense. I'm talking about right now and in the future. Competing for championships, competing for conference championships. Is the University of Texas, listen to me now, is the University of Texas closer to the elite programs in the sport like Clemson, Alabama, Ohio State and such, Oklahoma, is Texas heading in that direction or are, are they closer to being those that type of program or are they closer to like past football football powers who no longer compete consistently consistently with the elites of college football. So so basically what I'm saying is is Texas closer to being Alabama Ohio State, Clemson, Oklahoma, or are they closer to being in the same range as Notre Dame, Nebraska, Michigan, USC, Tennessee? Where are we now with Texas? And again, I'm not talking about money and boosters. and I'm just talking about winning football games. I'm talking about competing for conference championships. I'm talking about competing for top five, top six, top seven final rankings in the AP and UPI. I'm talking about chances of them getting into a playoffs. I'm talking about that type of impact. Are they closer to being Nebraska, Michigan, USC, Tennessee, Notre Dame, or because of the hiring of Steve Sarkeesian, this is going to start their upward spiral or their upward mobility to uh, where they can start competing with the Alabamas and the Ohio States and Clemson and Oklahomas. If, if, if not on an every season basis, but if you're going to be taking a look, say at the next seven or eight seasons, would it be feasible? Would it be responsible? Would it be realistic? Would it be foolhardy to say that, Hey man, in the next eight years, I want Texas to be able to compete with the Alabamas and the Ohio States and the, and the Clemsons and such at least five of those years. At least five. And I'm not saying beat them or wipe the floor with them or anything like that. But, hey, man, why isn't in the next eight years? We're Texas, right? We got more money than everybody else. We're a football state. We love our college football. We've got a huge recruiting advantage because of how big the state is and how popular the high school football programs are down here and the love of college uh, of high school football. Why in the world now... We've got the best facilities and all this kind of stuff. We've got beautiful women walking around our campus. We have alumni. We have a history. We're a story program. Why in the hell, with all the resources and all the advantages that we have to become a football power, you're going to try to tell me that over the next eight years, the glass half full approach in terms of we got Steve Sarkeesian and he learned from his tenure when he was the head coach at Washington and he learned under the uh, tutelage of um, 
Nick Saban and now he's going to be coming to Texas and we saw what he did with quarterbacks and now instead of these quarterbacks from California and Texas going to Clemson and Ohio State and Alabama and all these other places not only are we going to have the advantage of recruiting the best players from Texas and getting the best players from Texas because we are a national program but we can also go ahead and get the uh, players from Pennsylvania we can get the players from um Uh, Southern California we can get the players from Florida also because we are Texas so even if you have that outlook which many people as far as Texas Longhorn Longhorn fans are inclined to have I'm, I'm just saying five out of eight years that you can't compete not beat but compete and maybe beat in Alabama and Ohio State and Clemson and we're going to try to tell me why why is it that Alabama right now is getting historic recruiting classes and Texas is by the wayside looking and going, ah, why is that? What does Alabama have and other than winning a Nick Saban? But what in terms of to offer a recruit, offer a really good football player, a five-star recruit, an unbelievable quarterback, running back, wide receiver, you know, whatever. Again, it's very important that, you know, Alabama has Nick Saban and Alabama has championships, duh. But I'm talking about just in terms of just campus facilities and everything else, man. Would you rather, I mean, a guy from San Diego, a guy from L.A., a guy from Detroit, a guy from Florida, a guy from Prince George's County, Maryland, a a five-star recruit, a guy from Dallas, a guy from Houston, a guy from Norman, Oklahoma, they would rather spend their time in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, rather than be in Austin, Texas. Do you know how awesome a city Austin, Texas is? And the love that they have for their players? And you would rather spend, like I mentioned before, if someone from Los Angeles, California, you would rather go to uh, Alabama than Texas? I mean, I know I know, just Alabama, Texas is like, you know, what's kind of like, the big, not too much of a, uh, not too much of a difference there, but no, Tuscaloosa, Austin, Tuscaloosa, Austin. I mean, I don't know about you, but ain't no goddamn way that any state that's stupid enough to elect Tommy Tuberville for being their politician. Fuck that. I, I know you get Louis Gomer and I know you get Dan Patrick and I know you get Ted Cruz and I know you get them fucking asshole pieces of shit motherfuckers out there. But it's like, hey, man, I'm going to uh, Austin before I head on down to Tuscaloosa. Now, again, Alabama's winning championships. Alabama is the bee's knees of college football. And Alabama has someone like Nick Saban. But shit, if I'm a five-star recruit that's that's a badass at the quarterback position, I can go anywhere and fucking be the man. Trevor Lawrence was the number one pick. Did he go to Alabama? No, thank you. Trey Lance was the number three pick. Did he go to Alabama? No, thank you. Zach Wilson was some Mormon who played football at BYU. Did he did he hurt his stock by going to uh, BYU instead of Alabama? No. If you're great, if you're really good, they'll find you. They will find you. Whether it be at Texas, Oklahoma, Alabama, Clemson, North Dakota State, whatever, man. If you can play, if you can sling it, they will draft you. So if I'm one of these guys, and it's like Tuscaloosa or Austin, and I got Steve Sarkeesian, Who's going to be teaching me how to throw the football? Yeah, again, Bill O'Brien. Wow, head coach of the uh, Houston, Texas. And, you know, he was the guy when De- Deshaun Watson was doing a thing. Impressive, impressive, impressive. But shit, I can go anywhere and be great. Tuscaloosa or Austin. So I'm just, 
I'm just interested. I, I, I don't understand because maybe the boosters are pains in the ass and maybe the boost, maybe the, the, the president of the, uh, the university doesn't have the cojones, doesn't have the backbone, doesn't have the spine, doesn't have the courage to tell the boosters to, hey, look, go fuck yourselves with a football coach in terms of trying to tell him what to do and putting pressure and all this kind of bullshit. He knows what he's doing. Get the fuck out of the room. Don't call him. Don't do anything like that. This, that, and the other. And let him do his thing. But, um... I guess it would be kind of disrespectful to say that Texas, to put Texas in the same boat right now as Nebraska, which is a sinking ship. But I'm just talking about, look, Nebraska with Tom Osborne and Dan Devine and, you know, the 70s and 80s and a little bit into the 90s. I mean, they were one of the elite football programs in the country. Same one time with uh, Michigan, same one time with USC, same one time with Tennessee. I mean, all of these teams now who are middling, I would say, Notre Dame hasn't fallen off the cliff. Michigan hasn't fallen off the cliff. USC is not having three and eight seasons. Tennessee, now that's another story. But, you know, Tennessee at one time, man, that that, that place was fucking a semi-pro football team at one point when it had Johnny Rogers. And you took a look at those uh, defensive linemen and you took a look at those wide receivers and such, man. It was like every single year you would have a defensive lineman and a wide receiver and somebody else being drafted highly in the first round. I mean, Peyton Manning went there. Heath, Heath Schuler, Heath Schuler went there and was drafted high. So, I mean, you know, there was there, there's a strong, rich tradition of football at Tennessee who at one time was considered one of the major programs in college football who have now been irrelevant in terms of the elite programs is concerned for a while. But can, couldn't you say the same thing about Texas in terms of being an elite program? In terms of you take a look at everything they've got going for them and the results that they've had on the field, couldn't you say disappointing? Couldn't you say irrelevant? Couldn't you say, hey, man, you know, we got to do something here because the shit that we're doing now, it ain't working. So we start off with the Steve Sarkeesian era, Louisiana at Texas. And God help... Um, I mean, if they lose to uh, Louisiana at home to start off the Sarkeesian era, <sighs> mm, 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 mm. ask Charlie Strong how that went. Ask Tom Herman how it gets when uh, things get a little bit uh, hot down there. Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. And of course, the game of the day, Georgia in Clemson. DJ, oh, I'm not going to even try to say his name right now. I'll say it after the break. But uh, him and... Um, JT Daniels going to be getting it on number five versus number three. I mentioned before the importance of Kirby Smart. I want to see finally Kirby Smart do something in terms of winning a big, big game. This is the big, big game. This is a huge game, especially uh, when you're playing in the SEC. I mean, this could be something to where if we're going to be trying to decide at the end of the season what one win, what one lost team is going to get that opportunity to get that final spot, Hey, man, you know, it might come down to, look, Georgia beat Clemson. So you remember last year with Notre Dame? Or you remember last year, excuse me, with Clemson, where it was kind of like regardless of what happened in the ACC chip? Well, not, not really. But because they lost to Notre Dame, it really didn't matter because of who their opponent was. Now, also, Trevor Lawrence not playing factored into that notion also in terms of that wasn't really a death nail for the season in terms of trying to make the playoffs for Clemson. But, man, Georgia, if they can go ahead on the road, beat Clemson, and they stumble once in the SEC, I mean, when we're speaking about one-loss teams and who should be the fourth team or third team, 
vying for, you know, those spots in the uh, semifinal game, hey man, Georgia's going to have a huge big up on that. Now, it might be irrelevant because if they, for instance, lose in a regular season one game, even though they beat Clemson, if they're going to be playing a team like, oh, I don't know, Alabama in the conference championship game at the end of the season, it's really a playoff game in itself because the loser of that game will probably not make it to the uh, national semifinal game. But, you know, I think it's a, it's a huge game. It's a huge game. Talked about Clemson, talked about Georgia. So that is a game I am looking forward to. So look, man, you know, we this is the last weekend we've got where it's just going to be college football centric because the NFL starts playing on Thursday. So the games that we've got going on right now, the games that I discussed, woo, I cannot wait to sit back and enjoy an entire day of some, what should be some awesome, awesome football. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Speaking about what's happening now in the NFL. This past Tuesday, cut down day, as we know, this upcoming Thursday, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Dallas Cowboys, are going to be getting it on to start the NFL season. But Tuesday was cut down day. Teams finally getting to their 53-man roster. I guess you could say of all of the releases that were made, the most surprising was made by the New England Patriots when they let go of Cam Newton, who was released on Tuesday. Newton returned to the Patriots for a second year this offseason on a one-year contract, $5.1 million, 3.5 of it guaranteed. Newton played Sunday, played two series with all the starters this past Sunday, played two series, all with the starters, then was relieved by Mac Jones, who played deep into the third quarter, all with the backups. But Newton looked pretty good in the preseason. 14-21, 162 yards, touchdown and interception. So according to the Globe, the Boston Globe, Newton's one-year contract with the Patriots had a maximum value of $13.5 million. Again, only 3.5 of it being guaranteed. Head coach Bill Belichick said the decision to go with Jones over Newton was a very competitive situation. He said both players looked pretty, took pretty close to the equal number of repetitions in total between practices, games, going all the way back to the spring. And Josh McDaniel, the offensive coordinator, who's now going to be working with Newton, getting him ready. Excuse me, working with uh, Max Jones, who's going to be getting him ready. What he said about Newton, he said, I have a tremendous amount of respect for him as a player, a tremendous amount of respect for him as a human being. I think he did everything he could that we asked him to do and to try to help us win and help us prepare this year to improve. And for that, I am very grateful and appreciative of all the things he did, all the work he put in. So 
There we go, man. Mac Jones is now the starting quarterback for the New England Patriots. Finished the preseason uh, 36-52, 389 yards, one touchdown, no interceptions, playing 107 snaps. And uh, there you go. So the Patriots not only cut Newton or released Newton, they didn't then cut Brian Hoyer, which at the time left Mac Jones at the only quarterback on the roster. Now, the deal is that, look, they're just cutting uh, Brian Hoyer so they can resign him again for a better uh, contract for a little less money and such. But for a little while there, look, man, it was Mac Jones and nobody else. Uh, Brian Stidham or uh, Jared Stidham, He's going to start the season on the uh, unable to perform list, so he's going to be out for the first six weeks of the season. But uh, there you go, man. So Mac Jones is starting quarterback for the New England Patriots. So I guess you could say age and experience starting quarterbacks in the AFC East are having a they're having a renaissance because Josh Allen is in his fourth year. He's only twenty five years old with the Buffalo Bills for Miami. Tua Tonga Vailoa. This is going to be his first year as a full-time starter. He's only 23 years old. Of course, with the New York Jets, Zach Wilson, starting rookie quarterback, age 22. And now, Mac Jones from Alabama, from Jack via Jacksonville, Florida, starting quarterback at the age of 22 years old. So, I guess with him starting, I guess, you know, we can say this now. I mean, Cam Newton was, Cam Newton wasn't the guy, truly, to replace Tom Brady, he was never going to be the guy because he was never going to be the long-term starter for the uh, Patriots. So, Mac Jones is that guy. He is officially the quarterback who's going to replace the GOAT, Tom Tom Brady. Tom Brady, the GOAT. So, Patriots fans are hoping Mac Jones, I guess you could say what, man? How can we put this? Mac Jones is to... um, Mac Jones, Patriots fans are hoping Mac Jones is the Steve Young to Tom Brady's Joe Montana, right? When Joe Montana went away, Steve Young came in, had a Hall of Fame career, won a Super Bowl, won an MVP, elite franchise quarterback. Mac Jones is Aaron Rodgers to Brett Favre's Tom Brady. After sitting out a few years, Aaron Rodgers came in, replaced, um, replaced Brett Favre. Led the Packers to a Super Bowl, Hall of Famer, one of the best quarterbacks of his generation, one of the top quarterbacks of all time, Hall of Famer, blah, blah, blah. Mac Jones is going to be to, uh, Mac Jones is Andrew Luck to what Peyton Manning was to Tom Brady. Now, Andrew Luck, I believe, I truly believe, Andrew Luck was going to be on his way to uh, being a great quarterback, but he was with a bad organization. So, you know, this was a situation where, hey, man, you go from Peyton Manning to Andrew Luck, Peyton Manning, Mr. Year, the Colts stink out loud. They get the number one pick, and everybody's talking about, man, how fucking lucky can you be? The one year that Peyton Manning no longer can play, or the one year that Peyton Manning is out happens to be the year that Andrew Luck is going to be available in the NFL draft. So the one time that the Colts stink out loud in the Peyton Manning era is the time where they get an opportunity to transition from one generational great Hall of Fame quarterback to potentially the next one in Andrew Luck. Again, injuries, bad management, bad franchise, things didn't work out. But now, you're not speaking about that. When you're speaking about stable franchises, when you're speaking about solid franchises, when you're speaking about winning franchises, when you're speaking about a coach in terms of excellence and championships and everything, you can't do any worse, you can't do any better, excuse me, than... um, 
the uh, New England Patriots. So, hey man, this is a situation where Mac Jones, we'll, we'll, we'll see what he can do. But everybody says, look, we're going to be talking about this in the next segment. And it's like, oh man, what's going to happen? Should Cam Newton retire? Cam Newton is done. This just proves it, this, that, and the other. This was a situation where, look man, Mac Jones won this job more than Cam Newton lost it. And you could talk about the turning point when Jones took over for three practices the week that Newton was absent for a COVID-19 protocol, quote-unquote, misunderstanding. And he came out there and he lit it up and he was great and he was wonderful. And that started to stem the tide and momentum was starting to go his way and all those type of things. But, you know, I just think that it was going to be a situation where eventually this was going to happen. And one thing about Cam Newton, which shocked me, it really did, but this has been a consistent, at least with his tenure in Carolina, leaving and then being picked up playing last season with the New England Patriots, that the guys in the locker room love him, adore Ken Newton. He is a fantastic teammate, a true leader. His tenure in Carolina and his one year in New England so one of the reasons why Belichick decided that Newton needed to go or he was going to release him was the fact that, look, I don't, I don't need a locker divided. I don't need um, Mac Jones looking over his shoulder. Mac Jones needs to, this, this needs to be unequivocally Mac Jones' team from the offensive standpoint with him being the quarterback of the team. You know, and it's not going to be a matter of keeping Cam Newton that somehow Cam Newton would, you know, underhand or undermine or work against or be a cancer or divide the locker room because of his wants and <clears throat> his wants and desires to be the starting quarterback. I just think it's a matter of, hey, look, man, you know, we got to send a message to the locker room that this is going to be Mac Jones's team. He's going to be the only one, and he's going to have to start developing that leadership capabilities and abilities and start winning over these veterans and winning over these 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 guys because he's going to be the man. He's going to be the man to uh, lead the way. So I think it was a good situation. I think it was a uh, right situation. And even though it's the final cuts and, you know, with the season right around the corner, it wasn't a situation where Newton was going to be picked up by somebody else. But I think Belichick also wanted to uh, open up other options, other avenues for uh, Cam Newton moving forward. So, you know, I think that he would be more valuable in terms of getting another job or possibly getting a starting position with him being released and him being the backup or, or him playing a couple of games before relinquishing the starting duties to Mac Jones. One thing you have to say, though, here on Wendell's World of Sports Podcast with George Truly, Wendell Wallace. Th- this is not a, well, now that we're going with, um, now that we're going with Mac Jones, the New England Patriots are now rebuilding or, you know, they're taking this year so Mac Jones can learn the position and he can learn through his mistakes and this is going to be a learning process. No, no, no. Bill Belichick don't play that shit. That ain't about Bill Belichick. Bill Belichick is talking about winning. Bill Belichick wants to win every game. Bill Belichick ain't looking five years down the road. Bill Belichick didn't make this decision with the intent of, well, you know, I'm doing this because five years down the road, uh, Belichick, or excuse me, uh, Mac Jones will be this, that, and the other, and this, that, and the other. Now, that's not the case at all. Bill Belichick made the decision to go with Mac Jones because Mac Jones gives the New England Patriots, Bill Belichick, the best chance to win 
on September 12th when they play Miami. So this is not a rebuilding. This is not learning on the fly. This is not, you know, we'll live with his mistakes because, you know, in two years, this will all pay off when he's better. Yes, because Jones is the starting quarterback that, yes, he is going to make some rookie mistakes. Yes, he is going to have some games where he's going to look really good and he's going to look, well, like a rookie. But this this wasn't made for 2023 or 2024 or anything like that. Bill Belichick doesn't play that game. So if... Mac Jones was going to be the guy. Mac Jones was going to be the guy. This is not a situation where Bill Belichick is not looking one year, three years, five years down the road. Bill Belichick is not looking one game, three games, five games, ten games down the road. Bill Belichick is is, is focused on September 12th against Miami. That's his main focus right now. Which 53 players on my roster right now give me the best chance to win against Miami on September uh, 12th. Then we'll figure out who is the next 53 guys who can help us win on the 19th and then the 26th and so on and so forth. This is not about throwing away a season to play the young guy to throw them to the wolves so uh, you know they can learn on the fly and we can be better for it three years down the road. Bill Belichick is damn near close to 70. There's no guarantee that him or any of us are going to be down the line in three years, three months, three minutes from now. So it's all about the here and now. It's all about Belichick erasing the bad season that he had last season and uh, getting New England back to competing for championships. He went out in the offseason and made a boatload of moves to do that from the skill positions is concerned. So, yeah, this is about Bill Belichick trying to win championships. This is about Bill Belichick trying to win games now, not for any of the future things. So, here on Wendell's World of Sports Podcast with yours truly, Wendell Wallace. Speaking about the, I'm interested, Mac Jones, I'm interested to see exactly uh, what he's all about. But I will say the class of 2021, when you're speaking about storylines, when you're speaking about, you know, 10, 15 years down the line, down the road, you know, we talk about now, of course, it's been more than 10 or 15 years down the road. Now we're speaking about 23, but, you know, we're speaking about um, Ryan Leaf and Peyton Manning's, the what-ifs, and those those two are linked. And pretty soon, Robert Griffin III and Andrew Luck, they're going to be linked. And when you speak about draft classes mainly pertaining to the quarterback position, you know, when the when the history of time is written about the storylines and everything and their their legacies and they talk about this stuff, these guys are inevitably linked. When you're speaking about the class of 2021, I mean, possibly you could talk about Trevor Lawrence and Zach Wilson. Possibly you could be talking about Mac Jones and Justin Fields. And as I mentioned before, we haven't even spoke about some of the other quarterbacks who were drafted later on in this draft. But... Matt Jones and Trey Lance, I think are going to have a relationship. I think they're going to have a history. I think they're going to have a discussion point when their careers are set and done because similar to Alex Smith, I guess, being drafted over Aaron Rodgers, I will say this, is the fact that, look, man, when the San Francisco 49ers made those moves to go ahead and move up to number three in the draft, remember the scuttlebutt? Remember the rumors you remember the innuendos? You remember the word on the street? Remember the, the, the talk around town? Remember the, the, the talk at the bars and the clubs and all that stuff about the 49ers were really interested in Mac Jones and they were going to draft Mac Jones and all this type of stuff. They, of course, wound up drafting Trey Lance. But I think just that scuttlebutt, I just think that talk that went into it, 
I think somehow linked those two together. And now you're speaking about, you know, two of the better, or at least a great offensive mind in Kyle Shanahan and a solid, solid guy like Bill Belichick in terms of organizational building, championship winning, one of the best, if not the best to ever do it. You're talking about a situation where when everything is all said and done, what is going to be the final what is going to be the final say? What what are we going to be talking about here? Because long term, I think that you could take a look and say, because of Bill Belichick's age, how much longer does he have in the game compared to what Cal Shanahan is doing? I think that Shanahan is going to have a bigger influence on what he becomes as a pro and a quarterback more than Bill Belichick has on... Uh, Mac Jones and I think when everything is said and done if for instance Mac Jones plays 10 or 12 years with the New England Patriots I believe that Josh McDaniel where everybody thinks is going to be the year apparent to when Bill Belichick finally retires I think if Jones has a successful career and he plays the majority of his uh, tenure of his 15 16 year NFL career with the uh, New England Patriots I think it's going to be Josh McDaniel who's going to have a bigger influence on the success personally, professionally, and team-wise on Mac Jones than, say, Bill Belichick, while I think Cal Shanahan is going to have more of an uh, impact with uh, Trey Lance because I think Cal Shanahan is going to be, is going to be the quarterback. Going to, excuse me. Is going, um, going to be the uh, coach for San Francisco a lot longer. Now, you could take a look and say, you know, hey, man, let me tell you something right now. The fact that um, Kyle Shanahan, I mean, he had that one season, but other than that, he hadn't even won six games. I think the most he's won outside of uh, that 13-3 and season in which he went to the Super Bowl with Jimmy Garoppolo, um, I think that, uh, you know, Kyle Shanahan should be facing a little bit of pressure because of his overall record, not just based on one season out of four or five that he's been coached of the San Francisco 49ers, but the moves that both John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan made to go ahead and put all the equity to move up to draft Trey Lance just shows you that, you know what, they must have some assurances uh, with the owner to say that, look, we understand that, you know, Trey Lance ain't going to come out the box and be Patrick Mahomes right away or something like that. You know, it's going to take some time. So if it means losing some football games, despite the talent, both offensively and defensively that the court, that the 49ers have around him, that we're not, you know, expecting, you know, you're not, you're not on the hot seat. You don't have to uh, win big time immediately. We put your trust in what you're doing and we're going to give you the time to work with Trey Lance and let him be the quarterback that everybody thought he, that, you know, everybody thinks he is, that type of thing. So, yeah, Trey Lance, Mac Jones. Mac Jones, starting for the San Francisco, uh, excuse me, starting for the New England Patriots. Move over, Tom Brady. Tampa Tom is doing his thing. Now for New England, the new sheriff in town is Mac Jones.
Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Talking about what's going down in the world of sports. Feeling fantastic after a wonderful week up in Mesquite, Nevada. Virgin Valley High School. Educating, teaching, hanging out, laughing, getting mad at, exasperated, enjoying the 10th graders, the 11th graders up there. Letting them hear what real music is all about. Letting them hear exactly stuff they don't hear. Don't blame them. I blame the parents. How in the world can you not teach your children about great music such as Otis Redding, the Isley Brothers, the OJs, Teddy Pendergrass, Donnie Hathaway, Sam Cooke, Aretha Franklin, Gladys Knight and the Pips, Anita Baker, Sade, how in the world can you go through life? How in the world can you call yourself a parent and not teach your kid the awesomeness of those artists? Are you kidding me? And then if you want to go a little bit deeper, how can you not be talking to them about Coltrane, about Miles Davis, about uh, Duke Ellington, about Charlie Parker, about Sonny Rollins? Come on now. Come on now. But don't worry about it, kids up there. Don't worry about it. Mr. Wallace is here to educate you. Mr. Wallace is here to expand the horizons. It's not about it's all not all about English and Spanish. It's not all about science, chemistry, not all about history. It's not all about math in terms of the learning process is concerned. It's all about the understanding of the greats, understanding of the legends at least in terms of music is concerned and how it can shape you, how it can mold you, how it can make you a better person, how it can, how it can feed the soul, feed the soul with goodness. Soul feels soul. And that's what it's all about, man. That's what it's all about. Again, that's what Mr. Wallace is bringing. And as I was playing that song, what day was I, was I playing that song by the OJs? I think it was, uh, I think it was Wednesday. And I said, you know, let me tell you girls something, man. One of these days, one of your one of your homeboys is actually who likes you and you like him. He's going to he's going to get wise. He's going to get hip to this stuff. And he's going to come and y'all going to be doing some stuff in terms of going on a date or something like that. And he's going to be taking you home or going somewhere and he's going to put in a little OJs. He's going to put in some Isley Brothers. He's going to put in some uh, Earth, Wind and Fire. He's going to put in some uh, Al Green. He's going to put in one of them things. And when those tunes, when Otis Redding, these arms of mine hits, you are going to be, you are going to be transfixed. You are going to be transferred into, as we say in Marvin Gaye's, let's get it on. That's when you need to call your father immediately so he can go up there with a shotgun and take care of business. But that's what I'm talking about, fellas. Learn, listen, learn, appreciate, and realize Realize the power that these soulful singers have. Not this garbage that they're playing today that y'all listen to. Listen to the real on the real. Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Hey, man, they love me. Wendell's World in Sports. So glad that you could be with us. <laughs> Wendell Wallace speaking. So, um, yeah, we're well, speaking about the... Um, Speaking about the NFL, speaking about uh, Cam Newton getting released, speaking about Matt Jones being the starting quarterback for the New England Patriots. So exactly where does that leave Cam Newton, age 32, coming off a horrible season? Some of it was due to injury. Some of it was due to COVID. Some of it was due to the fact of lack of training camp. Some of it was due because of 
he signed late, really didn't uh, get the full potential, didn't get the you know the, the full advantage of learning the playbook. We thought that those things would be corrected and Newton would um, be the starting quarterback. I, I was saying this all along on, on a podcast that Newton was going to be the uh, starting quarterback, but I was wrong. So where are we going with this? How are we going to deal with this? What is the next plan for Cam Newton? What are we looking at here? Is it all about being a starter? Is it all about still being in the NFL? There's also discussion. There's also opinions about, you know, this is a situation where at 32 years old, he's made a boatload of money. He's got other interests outside of playing football that, you know, this could be a time where, you know, he goes ahead and he does something else and he calls it a career. Don't think that he's a Hall of Famer, but, uh, you know, I think that he had a very, a very good NFL career being the number one player drafted in his particular draft class, made the Super Bowl, was the MVP, was, I guess, a link in the chain to a lot of how quarterback is being played right now, the new generation, the new way of playing quarterback. He was uh, one of the uh, one of the pioneers, well, I wouldn't say pioneers, I guess Randall Cunningham would really be that, you know, be that type of quarterback, but you know what? A big, tall, rangy Cunningham wasn't big, but he was tall and he was rangy and he was super athletic. But I think Newton changed the game in terms of this super uber athlete 6'5, 240, 250, who uh, not only could pass the ball, had a cannon for an arm, but also, I mentioned before, the, the athleticism to be able to uh, do some things outside of the pocket. And I think that started a wave of quarterbacks, and that started a new wave of thinking for those who are going to be getting into quarterbacking, who were going to be getting into football early in their careers, early in their youth. The fact that, you know, you could still be the biggest kid on the block and be able to play quarterback and be able to play it effectively and be able to use your athleticism along with your skill your intelligence and everything like that to play the position. So I think Newton played an important role in that. But again, coming off his worst passing season with just eight touchdowns and 10 interceptions, I'm taking a look right now. Let's think about this, man. Let's go ahead and let's run down some teams here in terms of being released this past week. Where's he going to go? If he wants to be a starter, now he was talking to uh, Chad Johnson. Yes, right, his mama named Chad. Chad Johnson, I'm calling him Chad Johnson. But um, he was on his podcast, and he was talking about, look, man, I'm a starting quarterback. You can't tell me there are 32 quarterbacks that are better than me. Well, arguably, but, you know, you take a look at the type of style that you play. You take a look at your injury history. You take a look at your not vaccinated you take a look at your age. You take a look at the production over the last couple of years. Say for a couple of, uh, I guess his best performance last season was the game against uh, Seattle when Seattle's defense was letting anybody score on him. But other than that, I mean, Newton has not really been a, 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 a good quarterback. Now, again, where he says, I'm, you know, you can't name 32 other quarterbacks better than me. Okay, but... After what? If there's 32 starting quarterbacks in the league after 24, 25, how much, how much should we be like hip, hip, hooray on that one in terms of, okay, 
So you might be better than Tyrod Taylor, and you might be able. To, you might be better than Jalen Hurts, and and all these other things. But what exactly does that mean? Even if you're, if you're better than, how much better are you than Tyrod Taylor? How much better are you than Jalen Hurts? How much better are you than a Drew Locke or a Teddy Bridgewater? How much better are you? in terms of we have to now go ahead and get Cam Newton and replace those guys with uh, with Newton. We have to re- If you're Houston, we have to replace Tyrod Taylor with Cam Newton. Is it arguable that Cam Newton now is better than Tyrod Taylor? Yeah, probably. But what exactly does that mean? It doesn't mean anything with the, uh, it doesn't mean anything with the Houston Texans. They're not going anywhere anyway. So whether it's Tyrod Taylor or, you know, Cam Newton, big deal. How many games are you going to win with either of those quarterbacks? How many games are you looking to win with either of those quarterbacks? Okay, with Tyrod, we'll win three games. With Newton, we'll go 5-12. and 12. Okay, well, great. Fan, we upgraded our quarterback position. Now we can win one or two more games than the two or three that we're going to win this season. I mean, so, I mean, it's, it's nice. You could make a strong argument that there's not 32 other quarterbacks that are better than Cam Newton, but... After you get past quarterbacks who can really make a difference, um, it's all like, you know, whatever, whatever. And can you say that Cam Newton is one of the top 15, 16 quarterbacks in the NFL? No. So so what's the point when he's making that statement? I believe him, and he believes it. So, but, you know, again, big deal. You're you're better than Jalen Hurts. What What does that mean? What exactly does that mean? Does that mean that Philadelphia should all of a sudden now sign you and put Jalen Hurts as the backup? So, I don't know. Would Newton accept a backup role in the NFL? Discussing that here on Wendell's World and Sports, the podcast with yours truly, Wendell, Wendell Wallace. Is Newton pride? I don't know what you think. I mean, after the career that he had, I mean, would he accept a backup role? I mean, you take a look at the history of that. I don't know if he would. And if you're no, if you're an organization, what are we looking for here? Like, for instance, if I'm the Philadelphia Eagles, Jalen Hurts, similar style of quarterback play to Cam Newton. Okay, so it's like, all right, you know what? We're trying to uh, groom this guy, Jalen Hurts. We have a lot of confidence in him. We have a lot of belief in him, but we're going to try our best to see what we can do to maximize his talent because I feel, we feel, the organization, the owner feels that if we can go ahead and maximize the talent of Jalen Hurts, we got somebody who can lead us to championships. He can lead us to success. So we just, you know, we would like Cam to come on in and, and teach him the ropes of how to be a professional, of how to be a leader. He's an awesome leader. He's a great leader. His reputation is well known in circles around the NFL about that. So I think learning from Cam Newton, being a mentor for Jalen Hurts would be fantastic. Is Cam Newton down with that? Or is Cam Newton like, nah, man, fuck that. I'm, if, I'm going to New, if I'm going to Philadelphia, I'm going to take his fucking job. I ain't there to mentor nobody. <laughs> you know, I ain't nobody's mentor or president's son. I'm there to take someone's job. If that's going to be the case, then where would he fit? I wouldn't have him in Philadelphia because right now we're trying to see if Jalen Hurts is going to be our quarterback. I mean, Cam Newton and this, what, even if the you know glass half full and overflowing, uh, you, know, prog- you know, prognosis on his career, what does he got? 
Maybe, possibly, two, three years tops. Maybe, possibly. That's just high-end thinking, pipe dream, biggest Cam Newton fan there is. I mean, as being a quote-unquote starting quarterback in his eyes, even in the biggest fan of Cam Newton's eyes, what does he got? Two, three years as a starting quarterback? So why am I going to do that at the expense of seeing what I've got in Jalen Hurts? Why would I do that, you know, with, with Houston when I'm trying to get myself a quarterback? I got myself a franchise quarterback who uh, I'm not going to play because he's dealing with legal battles. But what, what does all that mean? Where are we going with all that? So with, with Newton, yeah, would he be, I, I think, you know, if, if he's willing to be a backup, certain situations, like for instance, Washington. Washington, he has a relationship with Ron Rivera when they were coach QB in Carolina. He also knows uh, uh, Scott Turner's uh, offense. Scott Turner is the offensive coordinator, not only in Washington, but he was the offensive coordinator when Newton was the quarterback in Carolina. So there wouldn't have to be a steep learning curve for Newton. But I mean, moving forward with my Washington football team, Ryan Fitzpatrick is already the starter for better or for worse. I mean, we already have a stop yet, stop back quarterback in Ryan Fitzpatrick, and we have a possible quarterback of the future, maybe uncertain, curious, in Tyler Henneke. So where would Cam Newton fit? I mean, he'll replace Ryan Fitzpatrick. Okay, again, what does that mean? What exactly does that mean? Just because you know Scott Turner's offense, is Washington going to be able to defend its uh, NFC East title with Cam Newton at the quarterback? Again, who's not vaccinated? Dealing with a coach who's been talking about, hey, man, this team needs to get vaccinated. I went through fucking cancer. I went through fucking chemotherapy. The least you guys can do is go ahead and get vaccinated. And, of course, the team is one of the lowest ranked in terms of percentage of players who have been vaccinated. So I don't know. I don't know. I don't know where the fit would be. And, again, I don't know what the mindset. Now, if he's going to be going to Washington, I guess Newton's mindset would be I'm going to try to usurp the – starter that is Ryan Fitzpatrick right now. Okay. How good is that going to play in the locker room? What tactics is he going to use? I don't know. I don't know. He's never been in this situation. So who knows? Desperate times might call for desperate measures. The Dallas Cowboys is another team. Jerry Jones said that he was interested in possibly acquiring Cam Newton hiring him as the quarterback. Well, Dak Prescott has been out for preseason while he's dealt with soreness in his shoulder he's also coming back from two ankle injuries he would be used for um he would be used for insurance does cam newton want to play that role is cam newton saying well the possibility of Dak prescott not being able to finish the season kind of what's my appetite to go to dallas if i continue if i want to continue to play football again i don't know i don't know but that would have to be another understanding. Look, this is this is Dak Prescott's team, Cam. So you would be the backup quarterback. Hey, now look, history has been littered. NFL history has been littered with comeback stories and guys who have, uh, you know, thought their careers were over or players who were starters, quarterbacks who were starters. And, you know, because of age, because of injuries, because of personal issues, whatever, has found themselves at the bottom of the total pole in terms of the depth chart and, 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 and getting an opportunity to start. And they've come back and they've won Super Bowls and they've got new contracts. We can go all the way back to Jim Plunkett when he was beaten up for years in New England and he was out of football for a few years. Or Al Davis invited him back to uh, sit the bench for the Oakland Raiders. And when Mark Davis, uh, oh, I forgot the quarterback for uh, out of BYU, Mark Wilson, I believe it was, got uh, injured, that 
uh, Plunkett came in and turned the season around and they won the Super Bowl and he became the starter and a few years later he beat the uh, Washington football team for his second Super Bowl and resurrected his career. Doug Williams, when he was in Tampa, you know, he was burned out. His wife died of uh, cancer during that time and he was mentally, emotionally, physically burned out and threw a football. Joe Gibbs offered him an opportunity to come back and play and he backed up Jay Schrader and when Schrader got hurt and he wasn't uh, really liked amongst his teammates, his leadership skills were lacking. When Williams got an opportunity to do some things, we, we saw what happened, put on the greatest performance in football history considering the stage, which was the Super Bowl where the Washington football team beat De- uh, beat Denver 35-17. We're taking a look at someone like a Nick Foles. We're taking a look at someone like a Jeff Hostetler. We're taking a look at someone like a Randall Cunningham when he came back to the Minnesota Vikings, replaced Brad Johnson and help lead the Vikings to a 15-1 record. So there's been plenty of examples of quarterbacks, veteran quarterbacks, who thought their time were was over and they uh, gave it one more shot and people counted them out, said there were careers over and they, you know, they, they turned out to um, have second acts that were fantastic. I just don't see exactly where or in the present's future... Cam Newton is going to get that opportunity. Arizona, maybe. Match him with Kyler Murray. The only quarterback other than Murray is uh, Colt McCoy, and they don't have the same skill set. Baltimore Ravens, insurance for Lamar Jackson. Seattle, insurance for Russell Wilson. Maybe Buffalo, insurance for Josh Allen. If it doesn't, if things don't work out in uh, New York with... Uh, Daniel Jones, um, Denver, Carolina against Houston. I don't know. I don't know. We're just going to have to wait and see once the season starts what quarterback, what starting quarterback is going to have a serious injury to where a quarterback is going to be needed. We've seen in the last couple of years Aaron Rodgers and such who have suffered season-ending injuries, and that has, you know, that has uh, – given an opportunity for the backup. If that backup is going to be someone like a Cam Newton, who knows? He might be able to take advantage of that opportunity. Wendell's World in Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. I want to uh, move in, and I want to talk about this rather quickly. It's about COVID. COVID in the NFL. Man, it's... um, I, I, don't, I don't know, man. The NFLPA has accepted the NFL proposal to increase COVID-19 testing among players who are fully vaccinated. Fully vaccinated players will now be tested at least once every seven days, up from once every 14 days. They're going to be offered the option of testing twice a week, and those with vulnerable cohabitants at home can opt for daily testing according to the protocols. And unvaccinated players will continue to face protocols similar to the 20. 20 seasons. Now there's been some there's been some slight changes made to the protocol. Some fully vaccinated employees will be required to wear masks when working inside including those who work on the medical strength and conditioning and equipment staffs and players who are fully vaccinated who are not fully vaccinated will not be required to wear masks at outdoor practices but will still need to wear masks indoors and as of this recording of this podcast the last week of august 93 well september so it's not at this recording but as of as of the last week of august 93 percent of the players on training camp rosters were at least partially vaccinated and that number could change 
in the coming days as teams cut their rosters to 53 players. There was a uh, three-week week stretch from August 1st to the 21st where NFL announced that 68 players and staff tested positive for COVID-19 out of 7,190 tested individuals. I don't get it. Carson Wentz missed a couple of days along with a couple of others from the Indianapolis Colts because they were around folks who um, who played, who were tested positive for COVID-19. Let's say the, this was according to uh, ESPN Dan Graziano. The three players were placed on the COVID-19 list after coming in close contact with a Colts staff member who tested positive. That was Carson Wentz, Ryan Kelly, and Zach Pascal. They were all placed on reserved injured uh reserved COVID-19 list this past Thursday Carson Wentz came back to practice I I I I, I don't get it so which means that these guys have not been vaccinated I I I don't get it I just don't I really don't I I I don't understand it how you guys cannot get vaccinated I would love to know the reasoning or it's a personal issue why is it why is it a personal issue I mean, what, what are we what are we talking about here? Either for those, it's like, look, I might have, you know, there might be a legitimate reason why you might be apprehensive of why you don't want to take the vaccine. Now, if you're doing it, when, when I hear, well, you know, it's my choice and I really don't want to get into it. It's my personal business and all these type of things. My first inclination is to say, there's something about, well, I don't trust the government or, you know, this is a situation where they're trying to make money or this is a sham. You sound like one of these fucking right-wing nut jobs, these fucking inbreed, unintelligible idiots who are out there making these idiotic claims. Now, if you want to be associated with those folks, then maybe you should look at yourself in the mirror and say, man, you know what? I'm having the same thoughts and feelings and ideas and opinions about the vaccine as these fucking idiots. Hmm... I wonder, I wonder, I wonder. It's it's interesting to me because in football, what do we talk about? In the NFL, what do we talk about? These guys go through hell. Some of these guys go through absolute flipping hell to get themselves ready to play on Sunday or Monday or Thursday. These guys know that when they play football, that 30, 40 years from now, 15, 20 years from now, that there's going to be irreparable damage to their bodies, possibly to their brains. This is going to be a situation where, damn, when I'm 50 and I'm 60 or I'm 40, even in my late flipping 30s, this could be a situation where I'm going to have long-term damage in terms of brain, knee, shoulders, hip, hip surgery, knee replacements, neck problems, all this type of stuff. And that's just a given. I mean, that's something that they they, they accept. But now we're talking about CTE. Now you're talking about being a burden to your family. Now you're talking about, you see the you see what happened to Dave Duerson. You see what happened to Mike Webster. You see all of these examples of, of, of athletes, former pro football players who have killed themselves or even pro, former pro football selves who are, uh, former pro football players who have said, I would kill myself if I had the chance because of the way I'm living sucks. These guys are willing to go through all that to be ready to play for their team and play next to their quote-unquote brothers. Those guys will do all of that, but yet and still to be ready to be there for your teammates, you won't get vaccinated? 
not just for your own safety but or your own health, but for your brothers and comrade, for your family members, for your wife, for your kids. I, I, I don't get that. These guys will almost go through anything. These guys will put anything in their bodies to get themselves on the football field, but yet and still you're going to put yourself in jeopardy of missing games by failing a COVID test or being around someone who has COVID and you have to miss a game because you didn't get yourself vaccinated? Out of all the things that you guys do to try to get yourselves on the field every, every week, that to me is foreign. That to me I don't understand. And what do football players, coaches, everybody say? What's the one thing that they hate in terms of of uh, of, of uh, you know, preparing for a game, getting ready for a game, being at their best? What do they say? We hate any kind of distractions, any kind of anything that will take away from our ability to fully prepare and get ready for a game. Get it out of here. We don't want to deal with it. We don't want to talk about it. Just anything. So now you're going to be putting this on the table to be served in terms of a talking point, in terms of getting prepared to play. Now you're going to have to be dealing with this this discussion point. Get the vaccine. I, I don't understand it. I, I don't understand it. There's going to come a situation in the season where there's going to be a quarterback or there's going to be someone important that's going to miss a game because of COVID-19. And it could cost that team a chance at the playoff. It could cost the coach his job. What are we going to do? What are you going to do? What's going to be happening? Who are you going to blame? So moving forward, this is just the world that we're living in right now. And it's probably going to be the world that we're going to be living in for a long time, unfortunately, when we're talking about vaccines and masks and, and those type of things. I mean, one thing about the college football season starting, and now they're speaking about uh, having fans back in the stadiums for the NFL games. I mean, you're, you're going to be talking about super spreading events that are just going to be out of this, out of this world. What's going to be the ramifications from that? Because right now, the majority of us act like this thing is over and everything's going to go back to normal. So when we get hit with this shit again, what's going to happen? And what's going to happen to your favorite football team when your quarterback is going to be needed to get your team into the playoffs or get your team a division title or get your team home field advantage for the playoffs or anything is going to be missing because, well, he was around someone in that locker room who had who tested positive for COVID-19, whether it be a player, whether it be a coach, whether it be a staff member, whether it might be someone at home, family member at home, who knows? So the NFL COVID-19, man, it's a whole new world out there. And you still get these cats talking about, oh, you know, I'm not vaccinated and I don't know and this, that, and the other. And look, it just goes to everyday life, not just the NFL. It's just everyday life, man. So it's just, it's just, surprises me it just befuddles me that these guys again who will do anything humanly possible to get on the field to play football is going to jeopardize that because of out of ignorance out of not being educated out of i don't know i don't know but moving forward there's going to be a lot maybe not a lot but there's going to be a fan base that's going to be pissed off and a quarterback or a defensive tackle or a key player who's going to miss a game that they're going to need. Because why? He decided not to get himself vaccinated. Not get yourself vaccinated. Really?
Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Final segment of the podcast. Going to do something real quick before I get out of here with a little Terrence Blanchard, uh, Mo Better Blues from one of the best movies I've ever seen in my life, Mo Better Blues, 1990, Spike Lee, a younger, much younger, but still awesome, Denzel Washington starring in that movie. Um, but uh, yeah, that's what I'm going to, that's my outro song for this podcast. But uh, I want to just very quickly just touch on something. As I mentioned before, I've been up at the high school up in uh, Mesquite, Nevada all week. So saw this last weekend and the fallout from it disturbing disappointing ridiculous disgusting when we're speaking about now i know the headlines is ha 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 espn got duped by a high school football program into televising their game against ing on sunday ha 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 good for you yeah bishop sycamore ha ha yeah screw you espn we got over on you some high school football program or some high school who we think it's a high school. We don't even know if it's a high school. There's no evidence that it's a high school. That's a sham. They show that the emperor has no clothes in terms of duping ESPN. Ha, ha, ha. Well, after we get over, congratulations, you know, ESPN has mud on their face. This this story is disturbing, disgusting, ridiculous, and somebody needs to be in jail for child abuse. This is ridiculous. Bishop Sycamore High School, we, we think it's a high school. I really don't know what it is. Played and lost to the number two ranked high school football team in the country, IMG 58 to nothing, Bishop Sycamore, which I guess claims to be based in Columbus, Ohio, even though their website shows no address listed and any information about the school on his website is blank. So we don't know exactly what's going on. It advertises itself as less of a high school and more of a finishing school for selected athletes from across the country to prepare for a collegiate or professional uh, for a professional rank. They advertise itself as less of a high school and more a finishing school for selected athletes from across the country to prepare for the collegiate or professional rank. So I don't know. So if it's less than a high school, then it's not really a high school, right? If it's less than a high school, what exactly is it? And on his Wikipedia page, it lists athletic alumni who have nearly two dozen NFL players. What's going on here? What what, what is happening? Last season, Bishop Sycamore went 0-6, lost every game they played by at least 23 points. And here's the worst part. Here's where this tightens my jaws and this should concern everybody and this should anger everybody. Those who want to continue to focus on ESPN getting duped this is where the seriousness of the story happens. For this football team playing against IMG, it was their second game in three days. Their second game in three days. Playing against IMG Academy, the number two ranked team in the country for football, which is loaded. That team is loaded with five-star recruits who are actually going to have a decent chance to get to the NFL. And this undermanned, under-squatted, under-talented, under-whatever team you want to say is playing this team after playing a game a day and a half ago? What in the name of holy fuck is going on? Andre Peterson, who played for Jim Trestle at Youngstown State in the 1980s, is Bishop Sycamore's founder, director, and currently coaches the football team's offensive and defensive line. That motherfucker needs to be in jail. He needs to be in jail. Now, the fallout from the game 
The head coach, Roy Johnson, was fired. Forget being fired. That guy needs to be arrested. Who decided this? Who thought it was okay that these, these guys, I don't give a damn who you are. If IMG had played Bishop Academy, a team like a Bishop Academy, where it was clearly better than, clearly far superior than, than them in every way, shape, and form, if they would have played a team like that two times in three days, that would have been damn near criminal. So just think of it up the other way around. Now, the first game, I guess Bishop Sycamore didn't play someone of the caliber of IMG, but still, what in the hell is going on here for a school which is really not a school, which is really not a high school, which is really no evidence of it being a school? What is going on in the state of Ohio for this to happen, and what the hell is going on? Now, ESPN is going to sit there and say, well, you know, it wasn't our fault. Uh, the um, company that we used to uh, go ahead and provide us with these games, Paragon Marketing Group, those are the ones who came up with the matchup, and they just gave it to us, and we've had a relationship with them for 20 years, and Paragon accuses Bishop Sycamore of, you know, of a misdirection and giving them the okey-doke. Does anybody do any type of research? Does anybody know how to use Google? Does anybody know how to use Mac prep, Max preps? Does anybody know how to use the fucking telephone or cell phone to call up? I mean, we got this game. Paragon, if Bishop Sycamore said, hey, you know what? IMG needs a game to play. We'll go ahead and play them. Wouldn't the first thing Paragon would have said was, could you give me some information about your school? If this game's going to be televised on ESPN, then obviously on ESPN, we're going to talk about your school. Could you kind of give us some information so our broadcasters can be, yeah, Bishop Sycamore. I don't even know what their nickname is. Do they even have a nickname? The Bishop Sycamore buttfuck, the Bishop Sycamore scumbags out of Columbus, Ohio. It's uh, this, that, and the other. I mean, give me something to where our broadcasters can talk about your program, talk about your school, do something. So when that was a little bit shady or when they wouldn't do it or whatever, I don't know, they probably didn't even ask, wouldn't that be caution number one? Wouldn't that be red flag number one, two, three, four, and five for Paragon? I mean, you know, you're not some mom and pop bunch of teenagers here. I mean, this is supposed to be something where, you know, you've been doing this for a couple of decades. I mean, how do you not know how to do this? You should be able to do this. I shouldn't be telling you how to do this. You know how to do this better than I do. If you've been doing this for over 20 years, even though obviously... Getting duped like this? Maybe you don't. Unflippin' believable. And you know who else is culpable in this? IMG. What is IMG doing scheduling a team like this of such inferior talent? Well, we couldn't get anybody. Well, then don't play anybody. How, how in the world? Why, why are you going to play? What is going to be the purpose of playing this team? And oh, by the way, that team, IMG and Bishop Sycamore, those teams played last season. And IMG won 56 to 6. So wouldn't IMG, when Paragon or ESPN or somebody informed them that, hey, you know what? We're going to put you on ESPN, not ESPN Plus, not ESPN Deportes, not ESPN Classic, not ESPN uh, News, whatever. We're going to put you on the, the main deal, ESPN, and we're going to have you play against Bishop Sycamore. Wouldn't that kind of be like, well, uh, you know, I mean, I appreciate that, but. You know, that's we beat them fifty-six to six last year. Last uh, year, so I, I I don't know exactly what's that going to do for anybody. Oh, and by the way, couldn't ESPN find that out? Even if Paragon did give them the information in terms of, hey, this is the game that we have for you, shouldn't ESPN kind of do the 
dotting the I's and crossing the T's just to, again, if they're not going to get any information, shouldn't they be doing their background checks and their homeworks to actually find out? And if they would have seen that last season, IMG played this team and they lost 56 to 6 and the team last year was 0-6 and lost every game by at least 23 points. Wouldn't that be something to where the folks at ESPN would be like, man, we can't, we can't put this game on television. Put on a 30 for 30, do something, you know, run the ESPYs again, do something, you know, put on some other programming, programming, but we can't do this. This is criminal. This is ridiculous. So I, 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 I don't get it. And I think most of the focus is on ha 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 ESPN got duped. ESPN got duped. It goes a lot deeper than that. And it's not funny that, that, that this school put those kids health at stake by playing for the second time in three days against a team with so much more talent, physically, athletically, everything else. The second time in three days. That's damn near criminal. That's a fucking shame. That is a damn shame. And something should be done. Absolutely should be done. So, hate to end off on that one. But yeah, man, I wanted to uh, get that out. Because it's like, man, you know, I'm up at the high school, care about them kids that I'm dealing with now. And it's like, man, if these kids had to play two football games in three days, man, their parents, their parents should be like, hell no. Hell flipping no. Mm Mm-mm. Ain't happening. So, there you go. All right. I am out of here. I am done. Time for me to watch some football. Time for me to watch some North Carolina and Virginia Tech. So I hope that, uh, thank you very much, number one, for listening to the podcast. Hope you enjoyed it. I'll be back very, very soon to talk about the weekend in college football and get ready for the start of the NFL. So I can't wait with that. Can't wait for that. And anything else that crosses my mind, definitely going to be speaking to you guys about it. Wendell's World and Sports. Be good to each other. Love, peace, unity, harmony, togetherness. We don't need discrimination. We don't need oppression. Listen, learn, respect, drop the privilege, make better human beings of yourself. Do it for your children. Do it for the future. Do it for the society because we damn near need it. Mo Better Blues. God damn, I love this song. Peace. Music. (laughs) 